Welcome to the Exponential Podcast. My name is Peyton Jones, and as Exponential's content director, I'll be your guide through the curation of the world's largest multiplication library of resources and training. We currently have four shows running Monday through Thursday, each with a different thrust towards accelerating multiplication. On Monday, join us for front lines tackling current issues facing pastors and planners. On Tuesday, tune in for Biblically Speaking, Theological Foundations for Transformative Race Conversations. On Wednesdays, Ralph Moorhead's Practical Multiplication, A Pastor's Guide to Accelerating Multiplication. And lastly, Candid Conversations is on Thursday, Unpacking Definitions of Diversity. Be sure to catch them all as they will serve as equipping companions on your discipleship journey towards multiplication. Today, join me and Daniel Yang on Frontlines. The Frontline program seeks to encourage and equip pastors and planners to better understand and navigate the current and future trends in church ministry. Each episode invites thought leaders and advanced practitioners in ministry to inform and inspire pastors and planners as they continue what they do on the field. Hey, Exponential, welcome back to Frontline's Church Planning. I'm Peyton Jones, and I'm joined by my host, Daniel Yang, who's the director of the Sin Institute. Hey, Daniel. Hey, man. Look at you. Okay, tell me about the background there. I think I think people know, but they tell them the the background of why you've got that up there. Well, the real reason why I've got it up here is behind me. I have been kicked out of the house uh, into the part we're building the extension, and it's all like just wood, like timber. So I had to put something back. I got a green screen, so you can kind of see where my ears are, but. Um, but really, I mean, Star Wars, always going to be Star I could have Luke riding a Tauntaun or the, 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 the throne room of the Death Star, just something to keep it interesting. But, uh, it, but, but if I wanted to put a theological spin on it, this is to remind you that we should not be empire builders. Wow. We should be kingdom expanders, right? Rebels forever. But uh, my guest today is Tom Bernardo. He is over church planning and soul care for the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. He is um, really, he's a good friend of mine, um, and he's an author of a fantastic book, which I'm going to try to hold it up and hope that my green screen will, will let you pick up. Here, hold on. Here, let's just, let's just fix this for a second here. Boom. And now you see my green screen. So the magic is gone. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But this is the honest guide to church planning. What no one ever tells you about planning and leading a new church. So everything that Tom's going to say today is really, I mean, he's unpacking a lot of what's in this book and you should definitely read it and get it. So uh, I don't say that about all the girls, Tom. You know that's true, right? Yeah, so uh, back we go to the this one's you like best. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, so, anyways, um, hey, welcome on. Tell tell us a little bit about yourself and you know, yeah, yeah, well, journey. Thanks. Yeah, well, I mean, the journey goes way back, um, and you know, I'm like a whole lot of church planters who. Uh, was kind of full of himself, um, pretty much sure he was going to set the world on fire, got a lot of early accolades in life and was told, man, you go do it because you're going to just kill it. Mm. And um, part of my journey, it was that's led me to even what I do now working with church planters and coaching them more is just that the story went nothing like I was told it was going to go. Um, I had you know, back when I first started planning, there weren't many books, there weren't many seminars, exponential didn't exist, there was no fraternity of place, places or people that talked me off the ledge. 
And, um, you know, and so obviously you're mixed with zeal and, and passion for the kingdom and wanting to see people come to Christ. But what you don't see is the dark side of that leadership. And I have had plenty of it. And um, I, I call myself a recovering narcissist for those reasons. Um, significant surgery happened in my life through my first church planting experience into my second church planting experience. And just, um, you know, it, it's funny when you're, when you're learning lessons, you don't think you're learning lessons. Um, I, you know, it, during that time, it was a really, really tough time. My wife and I were going through secondary infertility issues. The church was infertile. We had to close the church we were working on. Um, I had nobody to tell me what was going on. And my natural thought was, there's something wrong with me. It was either that or there's something wrong with God. And I didn't think I could win that argument. So, um, so I was just disillusioned and in a place where saying, what well, is this? Why is, how I did it? What, what happened? Did I not pray enough? Did I not work hard enough? Did I not trust enough? Did I not do it right? You know, and, and through the years since then have worked with dozens and dozens and maybe even hundreds of church planters who have very, very similar experiences to that. We saw good things happen through our church plant the next time we did it. And that church is thriving and doing well. And I'm, proud of them, handed it off a few years ago to take my current role. But I've learned in the process, what's cool about Exponential and other places like this in networks is that we finally are starting to find each other. There, there are people who are saying, you know what, we were told things by people who probably, ne- most of the books and seminars and stuff get written by people who've actually never planted a church. And, and the people who have are starting to find each other and say, hey, you know what, it's okay. You're, you're, you're not alone. This is something that we all experience. So talking about that is, I find it to be, it's weird because you talk about, it sounds like you're talking about negative things like, okay, you're being told lies like we're doing today. But, but really there's a positive, the positive part about that is to know, okay, that this is something that, this is how the kingdom works. This is how church planting works. The more we can talk about it, the more we can compare notes, the more we can encourage each other and be encouraged that we're doing okay. Even when we don't, hit the lottery and we're not, you know, killing it like we all were told we were going to. Tom, Tom I, um, yeah, I start on your book and it's fantastic. Completely, totally recommended. I mean, you start out with the book talking about that story of going from the East coast to the West coast to plant that church. Can you just back up on, it's probably in years, uh, but can you back up and talk about like what it was like those 18 months to really give it all that you, you thought you had and, and, and then to see the church not go. I mean, talk about that feeling. Cause I think yeah. some of us have had a very similar experience to that before. And, and it's funny, Daniel, cause it's been a long time, but when I talk about it, it really is weird. It feels like it just happened. It's, it's like that PTSD it, thing. Like it, you is, it, it is embedded in my soul and in my psyche. Um, you know, I, I had, in my early days, I was a youth pastor at a lot. I was in a mega church. I was, you know, I was being asked to speak all over the country. It was like big time. And I just thought, okay, this is because I'm really something, you know, and I didn't say that. And I taught on humility, but there was that part of me, you know, and um, so when I got invited and, and was thinking about expanding to be in a lead chair and, and play the church and with a real passion to say, let's do this biblically, let's do it the right way. You know, I, there was all the boxes were checked. I thought, you know, and I thought we were going to, stretch our faith by moving cross country, had a little child, one child at the time, thought this was, okay, this is the faith stretch. We're going to go, we're going to do this thing. And when I got there, I, what happened was I started pulling all the tricks out of my bag, all the ones that had worked for years and years. 
And it was the strangest thing where one by one, I realized and saw that they weren't working. Like the stuff, like I used to stand in front of crowds and just, you know, think, oh man, these people are just turning out to see me and found out, yeah, maybe not so much. They maybe more were drawn because of the organization I was part of or whatever it might be. But, you know, just feeling like, okay, you're the Pied Piper type of guy. And you can, and, and, and plus you got good news and you're sharing great stuff and, you know, and you just think, okay, everything is here. What are the elements? And to see, and this is, I'm going to condense this really a whole lot, but to see just little by little, less and less happen and attrition happen. And, and we had great people and they were, loved Christ. And we were like, boy, this is great. And it just dried up. Mm. And I was left wondering, okay, you know, I've only got a handful of things that could be responsible. So I, so I figured I'm not praying enough. I got to pray more. Uh, and I just was, I was fasting and I was praying. And I was going on retreats and, you know, doing that. And I thought, well, I'm just not working hard enough. And I was already working, you know, how it is. I mean, we all wind up working way too much anyway. And I just got to work harder. I got to share my faith more. I've got to, you know, get better at what I'm doing. Got to cast vision clearer, all that stuff. Nothing worked. And, um, and I tell this story because it, it's, it's hard to put into words, but it was something I'd never experienced in my life. I, on the day that we decided this is done, this is de- done. We, we are not going to make it. We have to close this thing down. There is a YMCA. In fact, our church met at a YMCA. Mm. And, and I, was, I worked out at that YMCA. I would swim laps. And I thought, I'm just going to go over there. I'm going to, I need some endorphins. I got to, so I'm going to go swim some laps. So I, so I get in the showers, one of those big gang showers, but I'm the only person in the middle of the day to go before I get in the pool, turn on the water. And I'm standing there and it was this weird thing where all of a sudden I just, the water's it's warm water. It's just pounding on my shoulders. I lean forward against the wall and I was like paralyzed. I, I, I couldn't move. I didn't know. i I didn't know what was wrong. Never got into the pool. I was just so overcome with the failure of this thing and the failure that I was or felt like I was and not knowing where this was going to go, um, that it was a hopelessness that I'd never experienced in my life. That's, that started the process of me trying to figure out what to do. And here's the other thing, you know, you're, you're in these networks and circles and everybody's asking you to come do stuff. And then you're independent and you're off by yourself and everybody forgets you. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I felt completely forgotten, had nowhere to turn. And um, it was a deep, deep surgery in my life that at the time, I would tell you, I'm not learning anything. That I don't see God in this. You know, all the talk that says that when you're at the end of your rope, he'll show up, wasn't true. I did, at least I didn't feel him there. I mean, I know theologically, but I didn't feel anything. And I was, I felt completely lost, didn't know where to go. And it's, it's a much, and here's what I found that, that on varying degrees, that story has been repeated thousands of times. We don't like talking about it because it doesn't, it doesn't sell books and it doesn't sound good for the kingdom. Like failure doesn't sound good. Um, But that's the reality of what a whole lot of us experienced. And it was only through God's provision in my life to find a couple people who I could relate to that I began to even think about trying this again, which I can't still to this day, I don't even can't believe we did. did. <laughs> um, and what, here's the funny part, Daniel, is that a year into our second church plant, 
we were pretty much the same place we were in a year into our first church plan. Mm-hmm. And, and so it wasn't like, oh, I learned the lessons. And now like, look, okay, God has yeah. wounded me. And now the, I'm, I'm now at a place where the, no, he's going to double yeah, your, right, right. It's like, oh, the payoff is going to, you know, it's going to be so great. It was exactly the same place. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, I sat by a pond, I had a day long time where I sat by a pond in the middle of Ohio by myself saying, I can't believe I'm at this place again. And then, and it wasn't like I heard some, you know, audible voice, but I, I sensed something in my spirit where God was saying, what if I told you that this is the way it works? Hmm. What, what if I told you that what you think is the picture of the grand plan and how it's going to explode and how you're going to just cut, light the world on fire? What if, what if I told you that you're never going to make any headlines? You're never going to notice like it grows. It's never going to be over a huge, a huge amount of people, but I will change lives. And I'll be faithful with you and we'll walk that. And then the question was, that came to me is, would you say that's okay? Is that okay with you? And the reality was at the time, the first time, the answer was no. I lost heart. And I thought, that's not what I signed up for. And I, I, lost, I did admit it at the time, but I lost heart. Mm-hmm. The second time was like, okay, if this is really what it looks like, I'm going to need something more than just myself and my skills and my you know, history. I'm going to need a connection with you and I'm going to need a philosophy of ministry that looks really different that changes how I do this. And that kind of became a pivot point for me. That's so good. I, um, I remember we used to train people um, and, and we would tell them, smile stupid, it's supposed to suck, right? Because no, like you said, nobody tells you. You know, right. I remember going to a conference and a guy had a, a title for his workshop, which was called... Uh, <laughs> Why plant a church when you can hit yourself repeatedly in the head with a hammer? And that was actually the title <laughs> of, of the workshop. And it was pretty popular and uh, everybody related to it. So looking at the lies, and by the way, guys, um, you know, keep these in mind as we move along because you're going to get an opportunity to ask Tom some questions partway through here. Um, we're going to shift. We're going to take your questions. You can even pop them in now and preload them. If we get a bunch, we'll, we'll start the question time sooner. But um, but let's let's unpack some of the lies. We've got some lists. I mean, these are different than what you have an honest guide um, mm-hmm. to church planning. But I love, you know, let me just real quick, some of the titles out of the book, um, uh, I, I love this. The truth about you and the destined for greatness thing. That's chapter one. Mm-hmm. Chapter two is the truth about proven methods or you can organize a church to death, but you can't organize one to life. And I want to talk about that. Um, that's, that's my first question is uh, there are field tested and proven methods properly implemented that will produce consistent results. Mm-hmm. So you have that list as one of the lies. Yeah. Unpack that a bit for us. Yeah. You know, we live in America. Well, a lot of us do. Um, probably most of the audience here is in America. And, um, you know, we've done something in this country that is, it, it's fantastic. All right. We, we, we've reversed engineered success in just about everything because we got science behind everything now. So, you know, whether it's social media stuff or marketing or any kind of business, there's science behind it. And it's inevitable that um, church planting because there is science involved with church planting would adopt some of that to say, okay, let's find proven methods. Let's find the things that work because who doesn't want to replicate good things. And some of them are great ideas. And 
And a lot of times what happens at the seminars or, or in the books is somebody has this great thing that's, that they've done or, or an, an entire network has said, okay, we found a model. This model seems to be working with this group of people. Let's, let's train this model. And, and I'm not against models. I think everybody needs, a, they need tracks to run on. The train has to have, you have to have a skeleton, okay? But what we've done with that is the reverse engineering tends to put us in a position where we just say, okay, get the model, work the model, and you're going to get consistent results. They're going to look like this. And inadvertently, we've told our church planters, if you just work the model well and do this, these things in this order, you're going to see these things happen. And then we have benchmarks, we said, by this time, you should have this many people, and you launch on this date with this many people. And then there's a whole bell curve reverse bell curve about how many people will come after your launch date and how many will respond and what you need to do to keep them and how you close the back door and all those kinds of things. And then you run into the Bible. And I don't want to make this sound like a straw man, but, but there's a reality about the God who is behind our church planting that sometimes gets washed away in all the um, reverse engineering and the Holy Spirit's place in it. And then, but when you do a quick study of scripture about how God works, you find out a couple of things about God's creativity and also about his character and how he works. That God, for some reasons that he never even explains in scripture, he, he almost never does the same thing the same way twice. And he winds up doing these weird things like there's examples when the children of Israel, when they're, you know, he's got a vision, he's going to take them to the promised land, and then it's time to fight. And he gives them all these different ways they fight. And sometimes, you know, they're marching around a city seven times and blowing horns. And another time, they're standing and watching the, the, the angelic forces come and annihilate the crowd. Sometimes they actually pick up weapons. I mean, it's like every time they turn around, there's a different method. And when they need water, Moses is told, you know, strike the rock, which is weird. But it's an act of faith, and he strikes the rock, and a river comes out. And then later on, they, they're thirsty again, and Moses is told, speak to the rock, which is just as weird, or if not weirder. And then Moses makes the choice, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't say why. He just, I think he just did the method he knew. That's my guess, and he strikes the rock. And God, I mean, that becomes the reason why he doesn't get in the promised land. You know, he's not, it, God calls out a lack of trust on his part. Jesus, when he healed people, he didn't just heal in the same way. It wasn't just a, an assembly line. He's rubbing dirt and spitting and ground, and he's, and he's telling other people, go wash in, the, you know, in some waters or present yourself to the priest, or sometimes he just speaks it, and it happens. And the whole point of that is that it seems to me like God is kind of jealous for his own glory. <laughs> um, and if we, can if we can reduce church planting to a method that we use and we get the same result, we've pretty much eliminated the glory of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in the thing. And, and where God shows up is in the unscripted parts, the parts that aren't predicted. And this has been true in my life. I'm, you guys, I, I know this is true in your lives. The stuff I want to come back, I point to as the markers on the journey where God showed up the most are times we never saw coming. We couldn't have predicted them. They weren't part of the plan. At the time, we even thought they were setbacks, and they wind up being something that God is in. And I think that as planters, if we, just, if we get consumed by the mechanics of the science, we lose the art and the beauty of it and the personal part of it where God says, watch what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to surprise you. It's going to go different. I, I tend to, I, I like to say it this way. It'll never go by the book except for the book that you write after it's done. That's the book it'll go by. But in the meantime, look for the things that are crazy and the things that are different and, and hold loosely to the plans. You set your plans, pursue the plans, but let God have some room and don't think that something's wrong. This is the big thing. Don't think you're failing or something's wrong when you try to work the plan and it doesn't come together the way you thought it was supposed to. We think those are setbacks. We think those are problems. We think we have to push through those and keep on this track. And sometimes God says, oh, no, I'm going to... I had no intention to do it the way you wanted it to be done or the way your plan says, but we're going to watch what we're going to do instead. Tom, that, I mean, I totally relate to that uh, because before I came into church planting, you know, I've been involved in uh, three church planting endeavors. Before that, I was a consultant and I really brought that consultant mindset into church planting, which really mm -hmm. basically as a consultant, an hour's work should equal an hour's worth of product or service. Yeah. And that almost decimated me because like, you know, I'd put in, you know, 60 hour weeks and I didn't see like 60 hours worth of ministry fruit coming out of that. Mm -hmm. And I can remember specifically just asking myself like, man, do I need to do 80 hour weeks? Like, do I need to, yeah. I mean, what do I need to pray longer, you know, uh, fast, you know, uh, longer? I mean, what, what t speak to that? Because I almost feel like we, we create an almost uh, uh, impossible environment for church planners where we're telling them uh, you got to really work hard, but it's also, this is a spiritual thing. And can you just speak to some of that? Yeah. Some of, some of that I think comes with a picture we've got about how we, what our metric for success is and how the kingdom expands as well as where our worth comes from. And that's a whole different thing. That's really significant about our worth being attached to our productivity and our giftedness and what God does through us. That was a big part of my journey is, is seeing the difference between those two. But let me start with the one about the speed. Um, we, we have been conditioned to want things pretty instantaneously. And we've had heralded for us pictures of fast growth being an incredible model that's so, and, and who doesn't want fast growth? I mean, we want the kingdom to expand, but we got this, picture in our mind, and I guess you could call a lie that's been given to us, that fast growth is normative. And fast growth comes as a result of a combination of your zeal and giftedness and hard work, and then the blessing of God and the presence of God, which we, let's throw that in there. It's, you know, it's not just our flesh. Um, and where that runs into is there, there is this strange um, clock that, the, that God the Almighty has that does not match our clocks. Now, we know it theologically because we know Scripture says, well, you know, a day is like a thousand years, right? Or a thousand years are like a day. So God's timing is not our timing, all right? But we still tend to think there's a, and there is a clock running. Here's a part of the problem is our sending agencies have a clock. They may not have told us it's there, but it's there, and they're expecting certain outcomes. And then we've got our own ego and our own drive and our own godly zeal that wants to see happen. And we think this is where the equation breaks down because it doesn't make human sense to us. We say, okay, look, you got these combination of things that we know are true that the absolute greatest passion of the God of the universe is to restore his creation to himself, right? And bring glory to himself that way. We know that the time is short. Scripture said it was short 2,000 years ago, and now it's shorter. 
And we know that we that the fields are white to harvest, we've been told. And so we put that together and we say, why wouldn't God want to work is with as rapid a speed as he possibly can to rescue as many people? And then God just kind of tends to go slow. And, and he just takes his time. And we're saying, why are you wasting time? You know, and but all you see in scripture is, well, you know, James said it. You know, what, take a lesson from the farmers. They wait for the autumn and spring rains. Well, they're just waiting, you know. Now they're working, but they're waiting, you know. And and God goes goes incredibly slow. And, and you know, it's four hundred years to rescue his people from captivity in in Egypt. And so we think we don't have that time. We and I've got to and when I got to push and I got to push. And God says you can push all you want. It's like a governor on a rental truck, you know, like. Hey, you can you can floor it if you want. You're not going over sixty. That thing is just topping out. And God says, "I'm going to do this in my own time, in my own way, and I've got my reasons for it. And I don't have to. I don't answer to you for them. You can either knock yourself out with frenzy and kill yourself and and abandon my principles for Sabbath and everything else in the way, or you can kind of relax a little bit, work hard, and take it as it comes." And, and let me be the one who, who dictates the terms on how fast this thing goes. And I think for a whole lot of us, because let's face it, a lot of us as church planters, we're type A personalities, we're aggressive, we're, we're, you know, we're apostolic, we're so, which means we're go, 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 you know, let's take new territory. Um, so to, to let that lesson be one that is, we think it's a cop-out. Because, see, here's what, for years, I looked at people who weren't as productive as me, and I just thought, wow, they're just inadequate. I mean, I hate to admit that, but it's, I'm just being honest. I thought, oh, something wrong with them. They just don't, you know, they're a five, they're a five talent person. I'm a 10 talent person. So, you know, they let them do what they want and let the big boys come out and play. You know, I was terribly, incredibly narcissistic and arrogant. Okay. And then I began to realize, you know what? Those guys get as much or more done in terms of eternal impact as I do. The things that they talk about, things we all wind up talking about in terms of life change is somebody who you built a relationship with for ages. You never got anywhere with them. And then something happens in their life and they say, I think I need something. And then they turn to you. Those are the stories, you know. So, so learning that lesson is a really tough one, especially when there is a clock ticking on your support level or on what you think, you know. So changing that metric is really a significant shift. Yeah, I think that metric of, um, you know, stories just of people's life change is – is huge. That's what they always say, right? That's that's anyways what people you know a bunch of numbers, lifeless, you know, faceless uh, numbers don't typically mean anything anyways to people. They they want to hear your stories of. Mm-hmm. No, it could be let's say a thousand people don't flock to your church. So let's just say somebody starts picking up the Bible and is going, man, I can't believe this stuff's in there. That's an exciting story, and that might be. Right. This story that needs to be told. Um, now, if you're not seeing anything happening of spiritual significance, that might be something to worry yeah. about. But, right. but I love you know. But, but I like how you're saying like growth because I, I definitely found this as a missionary. Right? It, it, it wasn't that things on the ground changed. I think it was that I changed mm. more than anything. And um, you know, so. Uh, but I want to unpack this other lie. Um, that missional activity equals evangelism. I think a lot of people believe that one. Um, 
What, what, how do you, how do you combat that lie? Yeah. Okay. You picked one that's going to get me in trouble. Way to go, Peyton. Yeah, come on. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so there are trends in church and trends in evangelism and trends in church planting. And one of the trends that's happened in the last 10 or so years has been a shift, you know, because for, for a long time, it was the attractional model was the, the model. It was the Willow Creek model or the Saddleback model or those kinds of things. It's like, get them in, help them come and see, you know, lots of people came to faith. And then people started saying, you know what, that's, there's, you know, the pendulum swings. And then the pendulum goes toward, we are called to meet needs and we're called to reach into the darkest places and the disenfranchised and the people who, and that's, and no one's going to argue with that, right? So we, we named it missional activity or a missional the church. And everybody jumped in on that. And, and I'm not going to argue that, that having a missional mindset is fantastic and, and it's right. And to, to meet the needs of the poor and to go to those who would never set foot in a church, no matter how, how many bells and whistles you got going on. Okay. Here's, here's the dirty little secret that we don't want to talk about that is unsettling for us a little bit is that missional activity. And as soon as I say this, people are going to don't, don't, don't email me. Okay. I just email Peyton and Daniel and tell them I was wrong, but, um, the studies are coming back on this missional activity tends to result in a, a lot of uh, physical needs getting met and a social needs getting met and people being rallied around. And so, so whether it's uh, it's people in the sex trade or people who are in drug industries or, or simply people who are destitute or homeless, here's what doesn't get talked about is that the net result of what we do in missional activity tends to not produce discipled believers, not in huge numbers. Or Now, every, as soon as I say that, everybody will say, okay, but I have, an ex- I have examples, I have, and that's great. And there are, I'm not saying it never happens. But here's what I think tends to happen, is we mobilize people in the name of Jesus to go out in areas and serve the poor and say, let's get among those folks, let's live among those folks, let's do all that thing. And then we miss the element that's there. And the element that's there is message delivery. We're delivering love in the name of Jesus. We're we're delivering help in the name of Jesus. But we sometimes don't get to the cross of Jesus. And we need to get people to the cross of Jesus. If we fail to get them to, <clears throat> to the cross of Jesus, we have failed, <clears throat> excuse me, ultimately in our mission. So what I'm saying there is that it doesn't equal evangelism. Missional activity can lead to evangelism, but there's an important element there that we've got to help our people realize. And I think what happens is we kind of tend to th- throw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit because we say, look, if you just get engaged that's enough. But what we don't do then is train people to actually deliver the gospel message. And we say, oh, well, that's the old school way. You know, we got all these things we used to, the evangelism explosion, knock on the door and say, I got three questions for you. And if you answer them correctly, and then I'm going to ask you if I can lead you to Christ or whatever we've chosen and abandoned. But, but we need to still, I, I say this to everybody I, I train. I say, you need it. And there should never be a 12-month period go by with whether it's your core group for your plant or your body as a church where you don't intentionally train them again in how to share their faith. The content I love that you're saying this. 
it's you've got we've got to get to the place because people go well you know i don't want to push too hard whatever all this stuff that happens and so the missional activity doesn't return to get to the place of saying no there is still a decision to be made at some point there's there's an invitation to be offered and people need to be able to articulate the gospel the vast majority of people who really come to faith in christ are led there by individuals who they know personally who walk them through what it means to come to faith in christ if we don't, if we forget that part, our missional activity will do a lot of good in the name of Jesus, but it won't necessarily translate to people being saved. And that's what we want. We want we want to depopulate hell. We want people to come to the to the life of that Jesus offers, not just the relief that He can offer. You know, Tom, you're, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about the church planter who is still right in the midst of developing their core group. Maybe, you know, if they're using a launch model, maybe they're pre-launch right now. Right. But, um, you know, the idea of having effectively trained uh, core group members, a launch team, and because I, I completely agree with you. I mean, part of, part of, you know, most of our job really as a church planner is to really equip others for the work of ministry evangelism. But oftentimes I think we've come into it thinking that, you know, I've got, I've got, you know, a, a team that's like, you know, a 10 plus or something like that. And, you know, they're all a plus people and over time see their energy wane over time, see their families, you know, wander into maybe, you know, well, we don't have a youth group here. So my, my son's going right. to attend right. or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. Can you talk about just how, um, man, there's real, I mean, is there a guarantee that if you have a solid team, that's going to lead to like a fast growing church? Uh, okay. That, yeah. And that is one of the things that we um, discovered the hard way and that a lot of us discover the hard way about core groups and launch teams. And so their evangelism training is just one aspect of that. Um, that, you know, here, here's the lonely part about being a church planter is that, and this is just a hard reality. I don't care what they say, no one is as committed as you are to your plant. Now, again, overstatement, there are exceptions to that rule. And I will argue till I'm the day I die that God wants to ha us to have partnerships when we enter into church planting. He doesn't intend it to be a solo gig. But we tend to think, because people respond to good leadership, and so we, 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 we cast vision for our, our core group, and we say, Oh, you know, here's what we want to do. And they go, absolutely, I am all in. There's lots of zeal. There's lots of um, just passion about it. And, um, you know, so they, so they kind of just jump in and they say the right things. They say, we're going to be there. We're going to do this with you. And sometimes they'll do it for a while. And it tends to have a half-life. And then the realities kind of hit about uh, some universal truths that are there for core groups. And a handful of things that are, I would call universal truths. One is... There's unrevealed sin in your core group, just because there's unrevealed sin in everybody. There are hidden agendas in your core group. There are people who've got things that they want. The reasons why they're there, they may not even be fully aware of why they jumped in with you, you know, but they kind of like having a seat at the table. They kind of like being close to the leader. They kind of want to hitch their wagon to your star a little bit, but some of them have hidden agendas or there's a pet program that they would love to see happen, but they've never been able to do it. And they think, okay, here's my chance in this new church there are always unstated conditions for staying involved and like you just mentioned one daniel where where they say you know as long as my kids have an outlet that i feel good about i can be in this and then if i find out they don't or as long as 
um, whatever, there, there's a, a, a thousand different things that they, that they may not even be aware of, but there's got to be something that goes on in the church with it that, that we get to do together. And if we, I don't get to do it, then, I, then I'm going to kind of check out. And then here's, here's the thing. People have different meanings for the same exact word. So you're casting vision for, your, for where this church is going to go, and you describe something, and the people in your core group go, yes, yes, that's what I want. But when you say heart-level community, that's going to be at the core of what we do, you mean something by that. Well, they hear something different based on their experiences. You know, you say we're going to value children, and they, they think about the Awana program that they ran that was so, they love so much. And they think, well, that's what that's going to be until you don't do it the way they want. And they're not, and, and they bail out. You, you say we're going to have contempt. I mean, you know, like the old, the old words, like contemporary worship. I mean, what in the world does that mean? You know, and so people have got their own preferences and styles and you introduce something, go, that's not, well, we're not, you're not talking about the same thing. All those things become filters through which core groups get tested. And um, I, I have said this and I get pushed back on it, but it tends to be true more than it's not. I say, look, take a picture of your first core group or launch team meeting. And you should, because it's great to chronicle, you know, chronicle that. Put it somewhere. Five years later, nobody will be with you from that group. Now, it's not necessarily because they're all flaky. It's not all that they, they fell away from God. They're just not in it like you're in it, you know? And God's got other plans for some of them. And you're not going to be able to lean on them to the degree. And plus, they got jobs and families and all kinds of education, things that priorities shift. And there's reasons. So I, I say it this way to people. I say, you know, rather than feel... So don't be caught off guard by that and don't feel like there's something wrong with you if that happens. Like what, how can I keep these people together? It, it's inevitable. It happens with everybody and everybody's got a tour of duty that's assigned to them from, from our captain. But he doesn't say how long the tour of duty is. Almost none of those people's tour, assigned tour of duty is going to be as long as yours. Some are going to have be able to one year tour of duty and God's going to move them on to something else. And some will be three or five or 10 or 20. But you don't ever know in advance. You just have to know it's going to happen. And, and for any number of reasons, then, your core group's going to shift. It's going to change. They're not going to come through for you like you, you think they are. And, and this is why I would say back to the evangelism thing, don't expect that just because you send them off, they're all going to do things like you do. This is the I do, we do, you do principle of training. You know, you can't just say, oh, let me motivate you, and then you go out and reach your world. No, you're going to have to show them how. And you're going to have to keep showing them how, because there is, you know, vision leaks, right? You know, people lose their motivation. You, you have to constantly be feeding that and, and doing that. But so, so if we think our core group is going, once we get the core group locked in, we're all good to go. No, that's, it's, it's not going to work that way, and you're going to be tested by it when it does. I love it. So one of, one of my favorite lies that you have on here, um, and I think uh, it, it's especially relevant right now to where uh, not just planners, but also pastors, leaders find themselves during COVID-19. I mean, they're trying to figure out like, is this like a God-given sabbatical for me? Is, you know, it, is it? Is it a time to double down on discipleship? Is it a time to double down on prayer? Is it a time for me to rest? You know, I mean, is it a time where everyone's secrets are going to like 
come off the chain and like pastoral problems are going to be worse. But, but what I love is in, in because we've never been here, uh, pastors are feeling very much, they're not sure what they're supposed to do. Right. And with that, the criticism and the judgment that, that they're feeling like they don't know how there's no norm. So there's no right. baseline on how to handle this criticism. And, and, and they've mentioned feeling fragmented, like criticisms are, you don't do this enough right now. And who knows what in the heck they're supposed to be doing. But your lie here is um, the strongest and best leaders are those who get to the place where they're unaffected by criticism and disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Peyton, that is, um, I think that's one of the biggest lies we're taught about pastoring, about being leaders that like you're cut from a different cloth, that, that because you're stronger in your faith, because you're more anointed, um, there's, there are things that are true of you that aren't true of other people. And that, therefore, you're going to be able to endure. And you have resources available to you that, that no one else has because of that special anointing you've got or position you're in. And, and you know, organizations that hire pastors or planters tend to kind of reinforce that because we vet them and we say, are, are, is this a strong believer? Are they solid? Do they, are they been faithful for their life all this time? Have they, you know, we check their finances and their criminal record and we say, you know, what's your quiet time procedures and all that stuff. And then we vet them and we say, okay, you're good to go, go. Now you, we don't have to worry about you because you're going to be self-fed and you're going to be okay. And, and we kind of treat leaders like, they're, they're going to be impervious to certain things. And, and that gets reinforced a little bit because we hear it from politicians or athletes or celebrities sometimes where they, yeah, how many, you know, you, we've all heard this where they go, ah, I, don't, I don't pay attention to the critics. Ah, I don't, it doesn't bother me. Ah, it rolls off my back. Ah, I don't care. You, you know what? If, here's the thing. If we would try to get to the place where we are impervious to that kind of pain, something has to happen to our soul. We have to build a shield to keep that pain out. In order to keep a shield of protection around that, that same shield is what keeps us from being able to love fully or be loved fully. And there's something real, there's a, there's a cost that comes with that that winds up costing some guys and men and women their ministries. It winds up costing them their marriages. It winds up costing them their, because we're not built that way. We are not supposed to be impervious, you know, we are not our defender. We have a strong defender. It's not us. It's, it's outside ourselves. So, so to put up the front that says, I, I can handle this, I can take the criticisms, is a recipe for disaster. And I, I, was, I came from that kind of background. I was in a, came from a very conservative, Bible-based, fundamentalist type of background that just said, we, we take a stand and we're strong and we don't compromise and all that kind of stuff. And then we all saw, see what happens to folks like that. Then you start hearing stories, you know, hidden sins and hidden addictions. And I mean, we've heard some this week of people in high positions of leadership who've got secrets that come out and we go, oh my goodness, what happened? You know, so, so I think we're, we're deceiving ourselves to say that's what strength means. I think we're supposed to be strong in our faith. But part of that strength is having a, a soft heart that acknowledges that we're weak and says, God has got provisions in my life that I need to engage on a regular basis. Some of that is what Daniel mentioned earlier about taking Sabbath. You mentioned this time of COVID. 
about whether slowing down may not be a terrible thing for some of us. But a big part of that is having a safe haven for your soul in your marriage, but also in friendships and in fraternity. And a big part of what happens in Exponential is the whole doing this together, the collaboration thing. It's not just about let's get productive together. I, if we just say it's all only about being productive, we've missed a big part of what the collaboration is for. A big part of it is to say, no, I need a place where I can complain and I can show my vulnerabilities and I can, I can do it. But when Jesus brought you know, the apostles back from their first tour of duty in, in Mark 6, he said, okay, now you guys come here, come along. Let's, we got, you you got to break, got to take a break. You got to rest a while. Let's tell some stories. Let's see how you're really doing. I think that is such a, a needed thing. And it's really difficult for us who are, are entrepreneurial and, and we're always in positions where we have to like cast the vision and be strong and say, we're, you know, hey, we're doing great. Let's go, everybody. If you don't have a place where you can say, okay, look, this really hurts. I, where, you, where you actually, we don't, you know, we, we talk about, well, weep with those who weep. But when was the last time as a church planter, you stop and think, did I actually weep? with some other people who are, who are doing the same kind of thing. It, the answer to that question could tell us a lot about ourselves to say, no, I, you know, we, we get in the, we get in these uh, meetings and, and fraternities where we sit around and talk about all these great things we're doing or what we're trying, new thing we're trying. And it becomes a little bit of a pissing match about who's can, you know, got a longer shot. And, and what we don't do is sit down and say, you guys, I am really hurting. I, I have a group of friends who, who made a commitment to each other that said, we're not just going to, when we get together, we're not just going to ask whether, how, how we're doing or if there's sin hiding. We're not even going to ask, have you been, you know, we're, we'll ask questions about if you've, tried, if you've been looking at porn, okay? But we're not going to stop there. Here's, here's a question they decided to ask. They're going to say, when we get together, we're going to say, who is the person that you have been most at risk of lusting over since the last time we met that's not your spouse? Okay, now that's a different question because it's, it's something you do, you wouldn't do that with everybody, but it makes an assumption. Oh no, you've been put at risk. Oh, you've had, you, there's somebody in that category for you. You just need a place where you can be honest about your vulnerabilities. And when you get a place like that, it's a whole different level of support. Something weird happens in our souls when we confess that to each other that strengthens us rather than weakens us. And a whole lot of us don't have it. That's the kind of thing that we need to build into our connections with each other. Tom, um, I mean, I, I know that that resonates with a lot of uh, church planners that are right in the thick of it. And uh, for, for many of them, um, they're that, that negative tape is in the back of their head and it's playing and it's playing and, I'm wondering if you can speak some word of encouragement to church planters and their families, specifically those who, you know, they've been really faithful uh, and they're trying to keep their hands clean. You know, they're, uh, they're really just uh, loving the Lord. Uh, you know, maybe they're not perfect, but they really are uh, trying to be faithful in their spiritual disciplines in uh, their love and their core team. Uh, but they just don't see, people come to Jesus at the same level that they thought they would or, you know, and it's not even so much about church growth, but it's about like 
the length that it takes to see fruit happen in, in this kind of a ministry. Can you right. just speak some words of encouragement to them? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe give them some perspective about their situation right now. This is part of why I do what I do, Daniel, is working with people because I didn't have anybody doing that for me. And, and I need to hear it in a new way because everybody could hear, hey, be faithful. And that's all God asks. And we go, yeah, yeah, I get it. But I still feel something really different. But there is something, you know, the, the prophets of the Old Testament died mostly completely unappreciated, no unresponded to. They were on the run, most of them. They were, they, you know, they never saw the fruit. And Hebrews talks about how the world was not worthy of some of those folks. You know, I don't think that we should take that lightly. And I would say this, even if I could just say this directly to a planter who's, who's in this situation you just mentioned, Daniel, that they are, they're, you're working hard and you're, staying faithful and you're loving your wife and you're avoiding sin and you're just desperately praying for lost people and you're seeing so little happen and you wonder where God is in the middle of that. Man, I hope you will hear this. I hope you will hear this, that the most favored position God has for his children are those who just come to him empty-handed and say, I don't have anything. Am I okay with you? And God is, is a father who says to you, I want you to know that you are absolutely a rock star, that what you're doing right now is doing exactly what my son did, what my prophets did, what I'm asking of you. And your reward is not based one iota on how many people, how quickly you get to respond to you. Your reward is based on what you're doing right now, which is you have a soft heart. You're obeying me. You're walking with me. You're serving me. The kingdom is going to advance in ways that you may never see on earth, but I'm telling you, oh, this is going to be worth it. And I want you to know that, that, that scripture, scripture is true when it says the Lord sings over you, that, that you are a favorite child, that he is your Abba Father, and he is, that, that no matter what you do today, no matter how much progress you make or don't make, hear this, that he is fiercely proud of you right now, right where you sit, right with what you're doing. Don't give up doing it because you are living out the calling on your life to its fullest extent right now with everything you're doing. That's good, man. And, you know, uh, as you're saying that, like so many of the things on this call, I want to say flesh and blood does not reveal these things. Like these are the things that people don't tell you. Like this is, this is Holy Spirit stuff. I mean, I know, I know you're a veteran, Tom, and I know you've, you've, you've been in the woodshed and you've worked through a lot of this practically. Um, I love that your message also is not, well, you know, then I was broken and then the floodgates of blessing mm -hmm. opened mm -hmm. after that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a, a you know, a, a story of rags to riches either. It's just, you know, hey, endurance. Like when people ask me, what's the, the number one thing you need as a planner? I once did a study of, of the majority of things that, that Paul told Timothy and Titus and it was endurance. Mm. And I was like, well, that has to be the, if that's what he's telling Timothy, then endurance. And when I look at Paul's life, it's endurance, just kind of like Rocky, you know, just yeah. like staying in until the bell dings and he's the victor at the end. You, you know, know what's amazing about that, Peyton, is and this is the honest truth. In, in my years doing what I've done, there was never a period of time ever in, in our, in our plants, in, in our church's experience where I felt like, oh man, have we got momentum. <laughs> Oh, wow, things are really happening. And I hear things, I hear people say that. It's like, we couldn't keep up with God. I go, that's fantastic. That just wasn't my experience. But here, and, and, and it, I mean, we always said, it, people would say, how's it going? I would say, it's a house of cards. 
It feels like yeah. a house of cards. Oh, I've been big time. Words, it felt like a house of cards. And here's a wild thing. Here's a crazy thing that, to just what your point is. We would look back at times and look at something God had done or, or lives that were being changed, and we go, when did that happen? When did, when did we get all this stuff? Like, you know, all the stuff that we say you have to have when you launch, we didn't have that. And, and later on we go, and then we look back at our, our goals, and we never reached our goals on the dates we had. But then you look back over time, you go, look at the heritage. Look at the people who have been ruined forever in a good way because they've been raised in a church like this. They've been reached in ways that they weren't reached before. That's so cool. And, and God is just so amazing at how he preserves the glory for himself in that because he says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to use you. And you won't regret being part of it, but you're not going to notice that it happens. It's like when Jesus told the stories in Matthew 13 about how the kingdom advances, and he tells these stories of like, no one right, no one makes movies out of a woman needing bread and just dough isn't, you know, it's like 11 in the bread. And then it says, but then what happens is it slowly grows. It's like, huh, well, when did that happen? And that is the beauty of doing this in the endurance that you just mentioned, the faithfulness there is a payoff, but it's not the kind of payoff we always think is coming. It's a payoff that's deeper and richer and more fil- fulfilling, and God gets the glory for that, and we just stand amazed. You know, you're talking about all this stuff in the Bible, like you actually believe it, like you expect that God works according to his word. So yeah. I don't know if you're that way inclined, you know, I mean, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> but hey, I want to ask you, uh, in all seriousness, I'm teasing. Everybody who's listening, I'm teasing. This is, this is like the stuff I dig is when, you know, people dig down and go, hey, this is tough stuff. It's like when they go, hey, family, let's read the Bible. And then they get to like Genesis 6 and they're like, oh. Uh, this was a bad idea. Let's there's skip the New Testament. There's a lot of real life in here and stuff right. that I don't think my kids are ready for yet. So, right. but here, he, I mean, that's that's the Bible, man. That's that's the way it is. So, I love um, the fact that you know you've brought that up about the prophets and what have you. And uh, but it, one of the things in here is because um, I, I didn't get to a lie, Daniel. Do you got one that's burning? Because I know we got eight minutes. I didn't get to a lie, but I, I liked what Tom said. Do you want to throw one in or do you want me to keep going? No, that, no, keep going, man. Keep going. All right. So you talk about here finding ways to close the back door mm-hmm. is a priority for ensuring a successful mm-hmm. plan. I, I've heard that one a lot. And some of our some of our audience won't even know what that means, but right. others will be like, oh yeah, I was told that. What right. what does that mean? And why is it why is it wrong? All right. I'll, I'll try to say this fast. And this is also one that could get me in trouble because it's counter. <laughs> you um, can tell I'm zoning yeah. in on those. No, it's right. It's good. You know, because it's it's almost undisputed in church leadership circles to say, we've got this issue, and that is people come into your church, but you have retention. It's all about retention. How do you get people plugged in? How do you get them assimilation, right? How do we get, and in a church plant, I mean, you're desperate for that because you're saying our whole thing, our whole survival is based on getting people to stick around, right? So we talk, we refer to that as the back door. People come in the front door, but they leave for other reasons. And how do we stop them from doing that? It, it just goes unchallenged to say, well, of course we want to do that. Well, I don't like people leaving any more than anybody else does, but there's a, an, an innate problem with, with, uh, that we're, we're thinking that that it has to be a priority for me. Because again, if I look at scripture, you just don't see Jesus closing the back door. What you see is him saying, I want to invite you to come. Come with me where I'm going. Now, understand, 
we're going to death. <laughs> we're going to sacrifice. We're going for the kingdom. We're going to, you have to lose your life to come follow me. And then he makes it really easy for people to leave. In fact, you know, he, he, hard sayings. Well, this, I don't understand this. And it's a bunch of people started leaving. And he talks to his disciples and goes, you guys want to go too? There's the door, kind of like he, he doesn't close the back door. He almost opens it. Now, he's not cavalier about that. And I don't think we should be either. We want to care for the needs of our people. And I don't think it's wrong to have assimilation kinds of things going on. But when we start saying, I got to find a way, what we're doing is, is we're changing our focus away from, from everything that we're called to do. And we're giving ourselves you know, to uh, the, the economy of, of fear, which is I've got to stop people from doing something as opposed to inviting people to do something. And so, do you know, that it, I mean, we, if we stop and think about it, there's not a single recorded time in the New Testament where Jesus had a conversation with somebody who turned away from him and he decided to chase them, to ask them to stick around. He, he gave them choice, he gave them invitations, and he said, this is where I'm going, and then he let them choose. He respected their choice. And people say, well, what about the, he leaves the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. That's the whole point. The lost sheep is who he's going after. Once the sheep are in, he's inviting them to come, come with him, but he says, I'm not going to cater to your needs and your, your, your whims and your desires in order to keep you around. Because what that does is it fosters the exact mindset that's opposite of the character of Christ. Christ you know, it's, it's the consumer mentality. Well, give me what I want and need in order to keep me around. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm here to lose my life. I'm here to sacrifice. And if you come with me, I want you to do that too. So where I take that is move forward, make invitations, help people get connected. That's fine. But don't spend too much time trying to figure out why everybody's leaving, unless there's some glaring thing. If there's sin, of course you deal with that. If there's something you can do to help shepherd them, that's absolutely fine. But if it's their whims and their criticisms and their conditions for your coming, let them make the choice. And that's really hard for a planter to do because we want them to stick around. But if we make it a goal to make them stick around, we're losing our, our prime directive. Yeah, and I, I think that's um, over time you don't realize that because every every relationship, you know, you do want to build your core group and especially start building teams, you want to build up leaders. But over time, it, it, you can lose the evangelistic impulse if that's all you're trying right. to do. And right. I think that's, that's huge. Hey, I know we're running down on time, Tom. Maybe in 30 seconds, um, we'd love to just hear from you in terms of just like um, when it's time to uh, when it's time to move on, when it was time for you to move on. Yeah. Uh, I know that's it's a big question for a minute answer, but yeah. when it was time for you to move on, how did you know and how did you, how did you make that transition? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one, Daniel, but it's a good one because I, there are times to move on. And, and I think people move on too quickly most times, but there are times when it is time to move on. And I do think that part of what we need to gauge, and I mentioned this earlier, if you've lost heart, and by losing heart, I mean if you feel like you no longer care whether it survives, you almost would kind of hope it fails because it would relieve you. That's a time to invite some other eyes and help into a process to say, okay, how can I have a healthy death to this dream? Because I think that the deaths of dreams are not something that we should, we should say are wrong or, or it, they don't have value. I think part of the deaths lead us to where God has us next. And there are times where he wants us to move on. But to do it in a healthy way, 
so that we're saying, okay, we're going to help people transition. We're going to help our hearts to be in the right place. So invite some, some others into that process who, whether it's people from your, your network or coworkers or doing this to say, give me your eyes on this. Here's, but have an honest conversation about that. And then say, okay, it, it, it may just be sometimes, sometimes our, our job is go in and church plow, not church plants. It's our job to have been there for a little bit of time so that somebody else can come in and be the next one. What can I do to help hand this off to who, the next person who might do that? And I think that's fine to do that. But have a conversation and then find a good closure that enables you to shepherd your people through the finish line. Help them see that it's not just you abandoning them or them abandoning you. You're just helping them to the next step in their journey. And I think that's a real important thing to do. It's so good, Tom, man. It's always good. You are a brother from another mother. And mm-hmm. I know uh, Daniel agrees. Uh, I know we're both frustrated. We like mission, real mission. We like mission on the ground. And what you're saying uh, resonates with people in the trenches and on the yeah. front line. So we can't thank you enough for um, just coming on and being willing to even step out and say things that are little little uh punk rock and little little uh little dicey get you in trouble so we're happy to get in trouble with you brother no, so we want to earth man glad to be with you guys yeah it's good man so hey uh real quick for those of you that have joined us today want to thank you uh a for just coming along b if you know a planner who needs to hear this share this out um they can catch us on the replay and also uh, make sure that you join us for the roundtables. They're going to be nationwide, 100 different cities with 100 leaders, planters, doesn't matter, even just people that are like, hey, I just want to have an impact. 100 people in 100 different cities, 100 roundtables. And what we're going to be doing is we are literally going to be having uh, these talks around diversity. Each city will have a slightly different meeting. Um, it, it, it's almost like made to order. But uh, we're going to be doubling down into these issues right now from a biblical perspective with a wide range of leaders. So I want to encourage you to register for that at multiplication.org. And don't forget to pick up. I can't, I can't show it to you unless I turn my screen off. It doesn't want to grab it. But there it is. It is The Honest Guide to Church Planning by my buddy Tom Bernardo. Thanks for joining us again. We'll see you next time. This fall, Exponential is hosting roundtable events in cities all across America. These half-day gatherings in smaller settings will allow church leaders to prioritize peer-to-peer conversations and receive practical training on how to prepare their church to lead for racial reconciliation. Exponential roundtables will help you continue to pursue church multiplication in these challenging times. Find a roundtable near you this fall by visiting multiplication.org.